0: Proverbs chapter 1, we'll start there this morning as we have been going through this series, starting in a text and then branching out from that text. So we're actually going to consider first and read first Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. And today we're going to be considering justice wisdom or how we can understand and be wise about justice why justice wisdom why would we do this <clears throat> well first justice and righteousness regularly appear throughout the proverbs thus it deserves our attention if we're going to consider this book in fact we're going to read in just a moment the what we will read in just a moment roots the very purpose of the book of proverbs in learning righteousness justice and equity the point of each of these sermons that we have been considering as we work through Proverbs, is to consider how we grow in godliness, how we live Christ-like lives in a broken world. So as we consider growing in justice and righteousness, we are talking about how do we live as Christians in a fallen world? Second reason, the Bible teaches us plainly and clearly that God is just. He is righteous. In fact, the Bible teaches us that He alone is the standard of righteousness and justice. His perfect word given to us contains the revelation of His just character and how we might understand and live lives marked by justice and righteousness, reflecting the character of the God who made us and saved us. And third reason, Justice, particularly the topic of social justice, is a topic that in the providence of God has been brought to the forefront of our consciousness in recent years through shocking tragedies and wickedness in our country. These events have brought about sharp disagreements among many Christians. And these disagreements, as we have seen, have sadly reduced in many cases to name-calling, anger, and overall foolishness which is not how a righteous God would have us live. While justice in the public square is not our primary concern this morning, Proverbs does give us instruction for how we conduct ourselves outwardly in righteousness and justice. So with those three reasons in mind, I want you to know that I am not so foolish to think that we will exhaust God's wisdom concerning justice this morning. But As with the second part of this series through Proverbs, what I'm hoping to give you this morning is a framework for understanding God's justice and a better way to understand how you are called to live justly in a crooked and unjust world. Because the Proverbs are very clear in condemning an unjust heart and the absence of justice in our actions. So listen as I read again the opening words of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 1 verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you've ever had to write a paper or prepare a speech, or if you've even had the chance to preach a sermon, you might be familiar with a basic pattern for writing or a, a little wisdom saying that we have about how we can communicate. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them. Tell them what you told them. The point of this pattern is to tell them what you're going to tell them, tell the people what you're going to tell them, and tell them And then tell them what you told them. It's to be a clear communicator about the subject that you're trying to write or teach. To simply jump into a given subject with no introduction or plan is to give the reader or the hearer no no way to understand where they're going. It can hinder your ability to bring your readers and your students or your hearers along with you. And Proverbs just began with that, tell them what you're going to tell them in the first seven verses. And the verses we just read, these verses are given to us as a purpose statement for what the book is going to contain and what the book is seeking to do. And right there, in what we just read in verse three, a purpose of this book of God's wisdom is for you and I to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness justice, and equity. So one of the myriad of treasures of this book of wisdom is the ability for you and I to learn justice, not just for our understanding, but for our everyday lives. So maybe you know the classic Western from 1993, Tombstone. It's weird for me to say 1993 is the classic. I'm going to be honest, but if you're like me, this is just our life. But it follows the story of the famed sheriff Wyatt Earp and his family and Doc Holliday and their crusade against the ruthless gang, the Cowboys. And one of the iconic showdowns takes place between Doc Holliday and a ruthless gunman named Johnny Ringo. They're both renowned for their speed with their firearms and a feud simmers leading to an inevitable confrontation. And Ringo doesn't want to fight Doc Holliday, but Holliday does. He wants the challenge and to be legal... He is deputized as a lawman to force the confrontation because he now feels justified in his action because he's an officer of the law. It is a horrific misrepresentation of justice. Doc Holliday doesn't want justice. He wants the leverage or the appearance of justice in order to give weight to an action he wants to do. He wants to kill someone. And he needs a vehicle through which he can carry out his perversion of justice, not honoring justice. Yet it is a picture of just how skewed a version of justice we can have apart from the instruction and clarity of God. You see, the Proverbs give us a picture or a view of justice that isn't simply a tool for us to call upon when we see its benefit to us. Rather, justice is rooted in the very nature and character of God. And such that any deviation from justice in the Proverbs is repeatedly called an abomination to the Lord. Friends, injustice is detestable to God. Injustice is blasphemy against God because it denies who He is and how He has made us. So in order to get at this subject of how we ought to live justly and righteously in life, we must first grasp what are we even talking about when we use the word justice or righteousness? Those words are so closely related in the Old Testament language that they are often used synonymously. The theologian John Feinberg offers some help to us in this as he describes the Old Testament terminology of justice saying this, the root word basically speaks of conformity to an ethical or moral standard. In the Old Testament, that standard, that moral standard, is the character and nature of God. Hence, God is called just and righteous in himself. And then in a forensic sense, his judgments and dealings with mankind are just because he is just. I hope you catch that. You need to catch that. It is crucial for you and I to understand that our standard for justice as the people of God, is external, not internal. Our standard for justice is outside of us, not within us. Now, certainly you and I have within us an an innate capacity to desire justice. And certainly, being indwelled by the Holy Spirit, being sanctified and conformed to the image of Christ, we see a sense of godly justice growing. But our capacity for justice is so marred by our sin that often our sense of justice is warped into the shape of our own desires. What will benefit us most? But the Bible gives us another standard of ethics and justice. The God whom we fear and love. We have not been left to figure out what justice looks like. We look into God's Word and even more directly into the face of Jesus, and we begin to grasp what righteousness and justice look like. But God not only gives us the revelation of himself as a standard of justice, he's actually given us clear guidelines for living righteous and just lives. So again, Feinberg is helpful to us. And this is a longer quote, so you'll see it on the screen here. This is what he writes. Though there is massive biblical material on God's righteousness as his moral purity, this isn't all that the scripture says about the righteousness of God. There's a biblical theme that theologians refer to as the rectoral justice of God. This refers to God's instituting moral governance in our universe. As a result, there are rules that define good and evil acts and stipulate rewards and punishment for those who obey. Or disobey, and God enforces those rules as the judge over all. Are the rules arbitrary, immoral, or unfair? Not at all. For God's rectoral justice means that He has ordained rules that are morally right, and they are fair because they are not impossible to obey, even though we are inclined to disobey. God's moral governance is also fair in that God's punishments are appropriate. To our crimes. So, what he's getting at is this God is the definition of justice and righteousness, and he has given us instruction about who he is in the Bible, and he has also given us instructions and commands about how to live. And Proverbs does not review for us the just commands of God for, as the sages speak on injustice or justice, but rather they repeatedly re- point us to the results of living justly and righteously. And they do this as a means of kindling our desire to be just in the midst of an unjust and crooked world. Thus, if we would even understand justice at all, it will come through pursuing the Lord. This is what the sage says in Proverbs 28.5. Evil men do not understand justice. But those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Don't miss this. It's not through pursuing justice that you are enabled to live justly as a child of God, but rather through seeking the God who is just and coming to understand who He is that we come to understand what justice is. So dear friend, if you would be righteous, if you would be just, you must lift your eyes to the Lord and fix your gaze upon Him And then you will be enabled to understand what justice is and pursue it with your life. This is where we need to remember something. We need not put the cart before the horse, as it were. So from time to time, you've heard me say we must not put gospel imperatives before gospel indicatives. That's not my phrase. That's been used by many before me. That's a common way of saying this, that these practical exhortations, these guidances about how to live are not a means for you to earn God's favor or salvation but of living out a salvation you already have in Christ. All of the teaching on Proverbs or Proverbs on justice assume that you are in a covenant relationship with this God, that you fear and know the Lord, that you are by faith trusting in him. For Israel, this was through the means of the old covenant, but for you and I, it is through Christ. To seek to apply these principles that you're going to hear today are from Proverbs. Apart from Christ is death and legalism it will only promote self-righteousness but if we can see these as treasures of instructions as a mean of means of living out our faith they are life-giving friends we live from the gospel not for the gospel the gospel is a gift freely given and we apply it to our lives by living out these instructions so as we look to live lives of justice we must not come to those book who are as those who are evil that can never understand justice, but those who are redeemed and seeking the Lord, that we may understand justice completely. So to that end, I've come up with six statements to, Lord willing, stir your heart and mind to pursue justice in your life, your home, your neighborhood, and the world. First statement, not surprisingly, if you've been to any of these sermons, is this. Wisdom Injustice begins in where? Or where? Who would guess? Begins in your heart. That's right. So, so someone's heard it before. That's the first statement. Wisdom and justice begins in your heart. Proverbs twelve five. The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. You remember how we talked before that in Hebrew, the understanding of the self, the heart and the mind are not separated. But the heart in Hebrew was the place from which thoughts spring. For the righteous to have thoughts that are just means they have a heart that has been renewed and set upon justice. Now, I wonder, I, I wonder if we might get the picture of someone's heart being set on justice manifesting in a face with a deep scowl. A heavy-handed person who's always looking about for what's going wrong so that they can set it right to bring the hammer of justice. Maybe that's how you think of God. There's little comfort in that picture of justice. There's a lot of terror. But beloved, by the the time we're done this morning, I hope you'll see that the justice of God is not only a treasure for your soul, but fuel for living a life of justice that's actually filled with great joy and hope. That's not the picture of a scowling tyrant. That's not what we receive. Justice is painted, the, the justice of God is painted far more beautifully in that. But the question right now we should consider then is how do we fill our hearts with righteous thoughts? I think simply we apply Psalm 1. The psalmist writes, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Actually, there in verse 2, we have a template for how we become one whose thoughts are just. It is through delighting in and meditating on God's law. Maybe you've noticed that we've been slowly working through Psalm 119 in our calls to worship each week. And each stanza, with each stanza, we are reminded by the psalmist that God's word is the world-shaping reality for him. Meaning, he loves God's word so much that he has been given lenses to see the world rightly because he's able to filter what he sees through the grid of God's law, his word. Because remember, church, we haven't, haven't we seen growing in wisdom does not simply mean more data for your brain, but reshaped affections in your heart and a mind renewed by God's eternal truth. Because here's the reality. If you don't come to love justice in your heart, you will not live justly in your life. If you despise righteousness in your heart, your life will be governed by unrighteousness. That's why to grow in justice, we must grow in our affection for the God who is just by meditating on his word day and night, by making it our food and drink to know God. And it comes through understanding This too, that God is the one who possesses and gives wisdom to those who seek him. Proverbs 2, verses 6 through 8. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Beloved, don't don't forget God is the giver of wisdom. And if we would understand justice, it will only come as we set our heart to know the Lord because he is the just God of the universe. Second statement is this, a just and righteous life pleases the Lord. A just and righteous life pleases the Lord. Listen to Proverbs 15, 9. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. As those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ, we are never cast away from God. In Christ's blood, the payment for our sin is complete. Yet for the Christian, our desires have been changed. We once desired only to please ourselves, and now with new hearts made alive, we desire to please the Lord by pursuing righteousness. I mean, here the sage tells us that a life of righteousness or justice is pleasing to the Lord. Yet, did you notice how, how striking the negative statement is? They call the way of the wicked an abomination. That's a word we just don't often use, right? Right? I mean, abomination. The word means detestable or abhorrent, repulsive. So in high school, I had a field trip to an event called the Gator Nationals where top fuel Drag racers compete. I went to a, uh, what you might call a redneck high school in Florida. So this was the field trips, these were the field trips we went on. Uh, Now, and this isn't like Dominic Toretto's backyard tuners being raced at this event. That's not what's happening. These were vehicles that topped 300 miles per hour and a quarter mile. They burned down the track with engines roaring so loud that they would shake the air out of your chest. But the striking thing was actually the the fuel that they ran on, which is called nitromethane, just the chemicals. And so as students in high school, we had access to the pits of these cars where they would tune them before the race and fire up the engines. And whenever you were in one of the pit areas and they started one of these vehicles, the crowds would clear like cockroaches when the lights are turned on. They ran. You just moved out of the way. Because the stink and the burn and whatever that stuff comes out of their exhaust the smell. It burns your eyes, your nose, and your lungs. You would feel like you couldn't breathe. The smell was so toxic that, that people did whatever they could to get away from this cloud. It was detestable to us to be in the presence. And friends, to an infinitely greater degree is sinful injustice detestable to a perfectly righteous God. When you and I think or speak or act unjustly, our actions are detestable to God. Now, I'm not telling you this. Please hear me. I'm not telling you this to lay guilt on you or to cause some some unfounded doubt in your heart of God's love, but rather to remind you that sin is not your friend. Sin will take from you. It does not give you what it promises. Beloved, as God's people, we cannot be those who are marked by injustice in thought, word, or deed. God forbid that we, the redeemed by God, would live morally bankrupt lives. No. We are to be holy as God is holy. And as much as we embrace justice and righteousness and shun injustice and unrighteousness, we do this, we have the deep satisfaction of knowing this pleases the Lord. Even our feeble attempts at it and failures please our Heavenly Father. Thirdly, this. Wisdom and justice means acting justly. Wisdom and justice means acting justly. So growing in wisdom is not simply memorizing law code. It's not simply trying to to memorize the Ten Commandments, then all of the case laws from Deuteronomy. It's actually doing what God says. The Proverbs present justice and righteousness to us as actions as well as desires. Listen to Proverbs 21.3. To do... Righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Friend, just notice that justice is active, not passive. We do justice and righteousness. That is to say, we take what we see in God and we, what we read through the commands of his word, and we actually do what they say. We obey God. That's justice in action. That's righteous living. But why is justice preferable to sacrifice? Why do you think that is? What does sacrifice assume? Injustice or unrighteousness. A sacrifice is needed when the justice of God has been transgressed. Yet, even in this proverb, the provision of a sacrifice for injustice, we see a whisper. Of the one who would come to be the sacrifice for our every injustice and for our every unrighteousness. But that's later. So how do we act justly? How do we act justly? I, I don't I only have time to really give you two examples, but read Proverbs 10 through 31. You'll see plenty. Here's one: we aren't cheats. Proverbs 11.1, 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. That's a marketplace terminology, a balance and weight, weighing out money and resources or proverbs 16 11, a just balance and scales are the lord's all the weights in the bag are his work we don't swindle people out of money we don't cheat on our taxes we are just we are just in the way that we carry out our business in the world we aren't cheats that's how we do justice another example we love our neighbors proverbs eleven nine 9 with his mouth the godless man would destroy his neighbor but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. In 1226, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. We don't tear people down. Rather, we seek to do them good. The people of God has placed in our lives, our neighbors should be benefiting from our righteous lives as we do good to them and not harm. We love our neighbors. That's doing justice. And There are lots of other examples we explore, but I think the principle is clear enough for us. Being a just people, a righteous people, does not mean that you withdraw from the world. That's actually unjust. Rather, that you live in the world that the Lord has made, an unjust world, and in every aspect of your life, you seek to do what is right according to God's word. It's our desire to see the instruction of the Lord and then do what he has called us to do, justice in action. Listen to Proverbs 31, nine. or excuse me, let's go to, my, this, this is based on our fourth statement, Another, probably the most challenging statement that I'm going to, to give this morning. The fourth statement is this, wisdom in justice means speaking out against injustice. Wisdom in justice, not injustice, wisdom in justice means speaking out against injustice. So listen to Proverbs 31, nine. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. It doesn't tell us to determine their rights, but to defend their rights. Now, I understand that there is a complexity to this in our day. I don't think that this means in our current society, in our culture, that we support rights that directly oppose the nature and character of God. We cannot defend or speak in favor of the right to same-sex marriage because that is directly opposed to God's word. We cannot support someone's right to abortion because murder violates God's law. But in as much as the rights of the people around us preserved in our country and preserve what is good, we must be found in defense of justice and condemning injustice wherever we find it. And a friend and I were speaking this week, and he made a profound statement to me, because I asked him what he thinks about when he hears the word justice. And he said his mind immediately goes to injustice, because injustice assumes that there is a perfect standard of justice to break. Said another way, without a perfect standard of righteousness, we can't understand what is unrighteous or unjust. But because we do have revealed standards of justice, when we see something is wrong, we must rightly call it wrong. And when we do that, we are actually testifying to the truthfulness and existence of a just God. So prepare for me to touch raw nerves and just try not to get mad. As our country has become increasingly politically polarized, I think obedience to this clear teaching has become an issue of debate rather than faithfulness. Here's what I mean, and I want to plead with you to listen carefully. Our sense of justice is often revealed by stating our personal views that are often a result of how and where we digest the information that we consume. For example, Some of the same people who cried out for the fullest prosecution of Hillary Clinton regarding her mishandling of classified information have been infuriated by the FBI raid on Donald Trump's residence on the basis of a similar accusation. Or many Christians who have rightly opened their mouth to defend the rights of children in the womb against abortion and murder said little to nothing in light of the murder of George Floyd Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery. Church, I am not prescribing to you how every Christian should speak or what every Christian act- what every Christian should take or action they should take on these matters. But here's the thing: when faced with injustice, wherever it is, whether it's found in those we admire or those we despise, as God's people, our standard must never be personal preference, but the revealed word of God. If it's unjust, we call it unjust. We don't forfeit God's law because it doesn't fit our political agendas. And it doesn't mean that we adopt, I'm not telling you to, to adopt the world's remedies to injustice. It doesn't mean we lock arms with those who despise Christ and his kingdom. But it does mean that we are not given the option of explaining away wickedness. We are not given the option of saying nothing about unrighteousness and justice when we silently observe it. Or worse, we nod and wink at it. We impugn the very character of God and His standard of what is just and good. You know one of the amazing things for me when I read the Gospels and the life of Jesus is that how He made everybody angry. Like all the factions. Whether it was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Romans, even His own disciples were frustrated with Him at times because he didn't bow to any system of man. He refused to. There was no more just man to walk on earth. His eyes were fixed on his heavenly Father, and his delight was to do the will of God in justice wherever he was sent. And Jesus spoke. He was not silent. So here's what I'm trying to say with this. And I think the Proverbs say this as well. What I think the Proverbs are teaching us is that as God's people, we must be found demonstrating a fierce and unwavering commitment to condemn wickedness and uphold righteousness. And this is found in our homes. It's found in our neighborhoods. It's found in our communities. And yes, it should be seen in the country where the Lord has placed us to live. And though I am not trying to tell you how each of you must do this, I want you to wrestle with this because it has been uncomfortable for me this week. I have wrestled with it this week. And to be honest, I am still wrestling with this. To think, how would God have me do this in my life? But the the reality is, if God says to us, open your mouth, we must not be people with sealed lips. We must plead with God to help us by His Spirit to know how we might speak with right judgment and defend the rights of the poor and needy and condemn injustice wherever we see it. Beloved, here's my prayer this week and my prayer for us moving forward, that we may be found obedient to God in this for the sake of the world that watches and hears us and for the sake of glory and the glory of our just God. Fifth statement, wisdom and justice builds a strong foundation for your life. Wisdom and justice builds a strong foundation for your life. The sage rightly calls us to live out out justice in the world we live, yet we are told of potential blessings that wisdom and justice brings. And here, the Proverbs speak with utter honesty about life in this world and our hope in God. Listen to these Proverbs, Proverbs 10.25. When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. Proverbs 12, 7, the wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. Do you notice that in both of these Proverbs, the reality of suffering and trial are actually described? Both the righteous and the wicked face the tempest, but only one is able to stand. The one who is righteous, the one who is just. Brothers and sisters, we get no pass on trial, affliction, or pain in this life. The Proverbs are honest about this. But what we do have is a bedrock that we can stand on in the midst of our pain and trial. We know that our God is just and righteous, and nothing he brings to pass in our lives is wicked. So if we must endure trial and Pain and difficulty, and we all must do so. We are able to stand in the midst of the tempest because our lives are built on the righteousness of our God, his justice, not ours. We do not build our lives on ourselves, but on him. And I wonder if this is one of some of the texts that the Lord Jesus had on his mind when he said this: everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. will be the one whose life withstands the storms. And the one who hears and does not obey is the fool whose life comes crashing down when the storms come. As we seek our just God and our lives increasingly reflect His righteousness, we demonstrate that we are building our life on the sure foundation of the God who has saved us and will sustain us. And the Proverbs Hold out even more hope that building our lives on the justice of God, living out the ways that, that he, has get, he has designed for us to live, will have blessings that reach beyond our days. Proverbs 20, verse 7, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Proverbs 11, Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. As our lives are more and more shaped by God's justice and righteousness, our security is established because our hopes are removed from ourselves and they're placed upon him. We look not to this life and to the temporary days we have to find help. No, beloved, we look to the God who is the judge of all the earth who will one day make everything right, which leads to my last statement, this. The justice of God is a comfort to all of his people. The justice of God is a comfort to all of his people. So I mentioned earlier, our first instinct is probably not to think of God's justice as a comfort. We might tend to think of something, some other characteristic when we want to be comforted by God, his love, his mercy, his grace. I think most of us don't likely run to his justice to find comfort in the midst of difficulty or in the midst of our daily lives, but there is comfort for us. Listen to Proverbs 29, 26. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. I think this proverb, this statement, illustrates what many of us know deep down. That every injustice we see, even when punished by human courts, is not ultimately satisfying. The one whose loved one has been taken. Or the one who has been stolen from. The one who has been abused, violated. What is taken from many of us through injustice cannot be fully satisfied, repaid, or replaced in this life. Human justice, however fair it is, Falls short of removing the stain of injustice from the hearts of those who have been broken by it. But the sage reminds us that even as we seek justice in this life, the earth's judges cannot provide what can only come from the Lord. True justice is found at the throne of God who is perfectly just. Not in the courts of man where justice can be so easily sidestepped and bribed away. So I want to speak to you if you've been battered or bruised by another's wickedness this morning. If you've been targeted by the schemes of evil people, you can take comfort in knowing this. The Lord, who is the judge of all the earth, will do what is right. He will by no means leave guilt unpunished or sweep Sin under a cosmic rug and wink at it. Now, I want to be honest with you. You may not see one ounce of that justice in this life, but the Lord will not forget the wrongs that have been done, and he will rightly judge every wicked deed. Now, maybe you hear that and you think, or maybe you think or or should think something like this. That's comforting. But wait, what about all the injustice that I've committed? What about the sins that I have done? See, friend, this is the problem of God's justice for all of us who have sinned. If God's standard of justice is his own perfection and we have not attained to that standard of perfection, then the fate that awaits us is nothing short of the same righteous wrath of God. But beloved, hear me, there's good news for every sinner here, all of us. Jesus came to live the life that you and I could never live. He came, taking on flesh, becoming like us in order to save us. He came and lived the perfectly just life that we can't, and his righteousness, impeccable and spotless and without blemish, his every thought, his every word and deed, perfectly just and righteous, he came. But we wonder, how does that help you and me? Church, this is the glorious truth that we cling to as Christians of justification. Because Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died on the cross, not for his own injustice, not for his unrighteousness. He had none, but he died bearing the penalty of sin for all who believe in him. He took the punishment, bore the perfectly just wrath of God in our place. And his death means we live forever. We are justified by faith in Jesus. We repent of our sins. We look to him and we receive from him by faith his righteousness so that we stand before God, united to Christ, receiving from the Father forgiveness for sin and the blessing of eternal life in heaven. And just in case this is clicking a switch in your mind and you're thinking, wait, does that mean that God is unjust? No. Because the penalty for injustice, the sacrifice for injustice, the debt of death that has been owed was paid by Jesus so that the justice of God is satisfied such that it would be unjust for God to condemn those whose debt has been paid. This is the gospel Paul was preaching to us in Romans 3. But now, Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We who have placed our hope in Jesus have this guarantee based on the just character of our God. We have comfort and hope that is unshakable because come what may in this life, we will never face the wrath of God because the penalty has been paid for us by Jesus. Yet here's the rub. If you have not come to Jesus by faith, you need to know the justice of God is not a comfort for you. Because apart from Jesus, you will face the righteous God and you will face his just sentence for your every injustice. He's not wrong to do this. He's right to do this. And you are right to bear the penalty. But dear friend, you don't have to. You can look to Christ. You can turn from your sin and trust Him. You can repent of your sin and receive from Christ His perfect righteousness and the forgiveness for all of your sin. If you haven't trusted Christ, will you trust Him today? His grace is real and you can get in on it see, God's justice is the bedrock for our deepest comforts in this life. And it's why we as his people seek to live justly in the world. Because of Christ, God will never deny us. We are justified by faith in Christ. And thus we live out our justification, exalting this just God in the way that we live before him in this world. So friends, as we close, let us look to the God who is wise and just and seek from him a greater love for his word, that we might demonstrate his justice by holding out to an unjust world the hope of Christ, the hope of a just Savior. Let's pray.